Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. You've made it this last year is just about to be done and dusted. You have tackled all the highs and all of the lows that have been thrown your way. So now it's time to celebrate. We rode the wave of trying to manage a growing team and navigating a shift in lifestyle demands, as well as increased challenges in attracting and hiring new team members. You were able to ditch the masks in the salon and greet our clients and team as normal. Events and industry awards were able to be held. It was so much fun. And so many salon owners were able to reconnect with each other again. So how good did it feel to be able to hug each other again? As I share my top moments of 2022 in this episode, I would love to invite you to reflect on what your successes were over this last year. Why? Well, I believe to make the most of this upcoming year and to truly level up your business, you must decide to be and do something different, something that you've never done before and be different to who you've been last year. Because if nothing changes, well, nothing changes. If you do everything the same as you did last year, everything will stay the same. So in order to move forward, we need to be able to identify where you currently are in your business. Did you finally hire a dream team member? Did you manage to get a grasp of your marketing strategy? Did you manage to juggle the balance between life and work? Whatever it may have looked like for you, I would love you to take this moment and appreciate all you have achieved in 2022. You've smashed it. You've survived. You've thrived. Give yourself a pat on the back. But I know there's more inside of you. So let's dive into a my top moments of 2022, so you can fully move into planning and what you want to take into 2023. I'm excited to share these particular episodes, snippets from them with you, because they're game-changing strategies. So these are some of our top episodes, and I know that they're going to help you enter the new year full of new possibilities and opportunities as a true salon CEO. I want to first talk about a topic that I believe can be a roadblock to success when it comes to running your salon business. It's something I struggle with even still today, and that is imposter syndrome. Well, when you start to experience growth and success inside of your business, or even in your personal life, the impact of this can often result in a little bit of self-doubt. Change, whether it's good or bad, can cause this feeling of anxiety, leaving you wondering whether it's all just a little bit too good to be true. So in this episode, Alison and I unpacked three beliefs surrounding imposter syndrome and everyday strategies that you can use to overcome imposter syndrome in moments during your career. You won't want to miss this one. It's one that we didn't stop talking about both here at Salon Owners Collective and inside of our Salon Mastery Program. It's truly a game changer because we all suffer from imposter syndrome at some point. And as you start to become a true Salon CEO, this will be invaluable. Let's dive in. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation because I know that this is 
alive and well in the hair and beauty industry, particularly with business owners, um, whether it's lack of confidence or imposter syndrome, it you know when you're at the top or the leader of your business, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of eyes focused on you to perform and do well. And who the heck am I to be doing this anyway? I certainly have had my fair share of uh, that in my own life, especially if you think about modern marketing, you have to put yourself in a public mm. arena and that is super scary for a lot of people. So um, I felt it very appropriate to talk about this because I think in my coaching experience with salon owners, it holds a lot of people back from what's possible or from what's there for their, you know, what could be uh, a super successful, fun and exciting future. So um, I thought maybe a good way to kick things off, Alison, was what actually is, let's define what is imposter syndrome uh, and how, like, yeah, let's just simple as that. What is it? <laughs> I think it's a very, I think it's a very powerful place to start because imposter syndrome, just before I, I share the definition, it is something that especially in particular over the last sort of five or six years is being more widely spoken about. And I'm a huge advocate of that because elevating the conversation allows us to feel less alone in experiencing it and, and find our way through it. But unfortunately with that comes a raft of misinformation and that's very confusing whether you're an entrepreneur, such as all of you, you know, listening today or business owners or whatever field you work in. And so part of my role as an educator in this space is to give you the right information and then allow you to, of course, go away and process that information and make up your own mind of whether you are or are not experiencing it. So I just like to start with that. But what imposter syndrome um, essentially is, is when you believe that you're not as intelligent, capable, qualified or competent as other people perceive you to be, that's in spite of clear evidence of your you know, accomplishments, business acumen, the work that you're doing, your natural intelligence, your, you know, all of your expertise um, in math. And because of this, those of us with imposter syndrome are plagued by this belief that we are not good enough or worthy enough. And therefore, we feel like we're going to be exposed as some kind of fake, phony or fraud or exposed as not being good enough. And that's where the name imposter syndrome comes from. So it very much shows itself by way of fear. So fear of being found out as not good enough, fear of being exposed as I shouldn't be running this business, I shouldn't, you know, be the head of this salon. And when we're experiencing it, we start to attack ourselves and get really, really personal with ourselves. So we attack ourselves at an identity level, which is I am not worthy to do this. I am not good enough to launch the business or run the business. Imposter syndrome is very much led by I-based statements. Me, 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 I am not good enough. You're questioning your identity and your worth as a person. And I share that because it differs greatly from standard self-doubt. Yeah, the most important thing for anyone to do is identify why you are feeling this way. And this can be just a very personal moment where you get your, your cup of tea or your coffee and you just sit and have a moment to yourself. Well, you can do it with somebody that you trust. But what I mean by this is all of us who have experienced imposter syndrome have a moment in our past what I call your origin story. And it was the first moment in our lives, it is predominantly in your childhood or adolescent years, is where this first, the seed 
of this unworthiness is planted. And I want to be clear that it's not your fault. If you experience imposter syndrome, it is not your fault. It is a product of something that happened to you in your past, which, which was not your fault, that then as you grow up and become an adult in 70% of us manifests into imposter syndrome. So we need to move away from self-blame because it's not your fault, but into self-exploration so we can get to the crux of where the limiting belief or that I am not worthy started, right? Because knowing that will help you understand how cemented in you it is. Because if you were someone who has suffered with imposter syndrome, let's just call it for years, for 10 years, you might have to do a little bit deeper work to unravel it. Whereas if you're somebody who has worked in a salon, you know, for 10 years and never experienced imposter syndrome, but then decide you want to go and start your own business, and that is when the imposter syndrome comes out, you haven't been stuck in that self-sabotage for as long. So you may be able to move through it faster. So back to your question, sit or you know, grab your cuppa, sit with a moment and go, okay, when did this happen to me in my past? Who was there? Who said something? Was it to do with my family, a parent, a caregiver, a teacher at school? Where did this sort of seed of you know not, not feeling worthy stem from? There's a lot of power in understanding your origin story. That will bring mm -hmm. you a lot of peace to go, right, this is where it came from, okay? I know it's not all in my head. The second tip you need to, to all do is identify what your trigger is. And the difference between the origin story and the trigger is the origin story is sort of where that seed of unworthiness was planted in the past to understand the timeline of your imposter syndrome. But your trigger is what is it in your day-to-day -day that is bringing out the imposter feeling? Now, I hope you find some of those strategies for improving your mental health super beneficial for you as you experience the highs and lows of running a salon business because it can feel tough at times. Alison's messaging around the importance of enjoying your moments of success and reflecting on how far you've come, but also reflecting on when things don't go the right way and what happened there. For example, when your favorite long-term client suddenly stops visiting. In this next episode, I chat with Natalie as we discuss the importance of always rebooking your clients before they walk out the door and how to lead your team to deliver amazing consultations. Discover how to provide a 10 out of 10 client experience inside of your salon for just not new clients, but existing clients as well to ensure that they have you and your team have great clients coming back through the doors each and every time, which of course ultimately increases the overall salon sales performance over time. Let's dive in and hear about rebooking strategies that you can use in your salon right now. Let's talk uh, about consultation because I feel like uh, this is the centerpiece of a client experience. If we don't get mm -hmm. this right, uh, it can be a bit of a mess. And so it's probably the most important skill that we hone as uh, stylists and, and even as business owners. So tell me in, in your experience, what do you think, if you had to boil it down to the three most important things that we should be doing or be show, focusing on when it comes to a consultation with a client, what would you pin those top three things on? Okay, so look, top top things, eye contact, listening and body language. Um, consultations is something I have started to really fine-tune on and work. And it was something I don't know why, but I really started to see what was missing in the very early years of my apprenticeship. Um, 
and just a little bit of background there, and I know I've already done my intro, but I very early on had a, a clientele that was attracted to my style of hairdressing, but these women who were mostly attracted to what I had to offer were from the 40, 50 plus age group. And I have maintained a very high percentage of that age group for pretty much all the years I have been in hairdressing. Um, and this age group I love and find the most interesting and also they're an age group who want to get their style right and then through exploring and learning more about consultation and for me learning about how to read body language how important eye contacting or eye contact was always taught to me from a very early age and is very powerful uh, but also listening and when to start talking so that's a really important thing um, but I actually had um the ability then to start really fine-tuning and designing hairstyles that these women had never had before. So it, in my opinion, all came down to getting this consultation ticked off correctly. So definitely listening, eye contact, body language would be my top three, and then they all have the, the reasons behind, you know, what that, why that's so powerful. Well, take us through some of those reasons because I think um, it's something, because it's not a tangible say this word or do it like this uh, yeah. I think there's skills that can be missed or we don't realize yes. that we're not doing them yes. unless we're actively taught and then it starts to become second nature or we have our version of it but it isn't necessarily an effective version and then it becomes second nature and so we don't even know that we're making the same mistake over and over again yeah so take us through what what and how should we be doing yeah. this the right way? And, and everything you said is just so true because in my experience and what I've seen, and I, look, I could always be wrong and I'm sure there are definitely someone out there who are getting this right. I'm not saying that they're not. But I, don't, I have not seen consultations taught in hairdressing like we teach hair, how to style hair, how to cut, how to colour and all the things of how to do within the trade. But I don't, it, to me, it, it doesn't, one doesn't go without the other. So why and how we've missed such an important part of this consultation and so you're right it's kind of stumbled upon and and but how do we know if we get it right and then how do we accidentally keep getting it wrong because there's been nothing to to step us through so yeah so I've kind of you know who knows maybe I'll start be able to teach this but uh but this is great to be able to even talk about it so with so it, where do you want to start we'll start with uh eye contact let's start there so with eye contact you are instantly validating and making someone feel important so that is a great way to meet your guest when they enter the salon um, and that kind of quickly ties into body language and and for me I'm I'm looking and listening and seeing how that person has come in because you can tell a lot by just paying attention. So someone might come in in a real rush and they're talking really fast and you can just tell they've had a busy day. And they might even be a little bit agitated or upset or whatever it happened and, and that's fine but it's really good to acknowledge that and then start to just give that person either a couple of minutes or change how you might have come in and approach that, sit down, let's get started, what are we going to do today? Because their headspace is so not right where you are because you're in the salon you know you're you're doing hair you're in that place they've come into this space and they've just left something else so they need to arrive to, yeah you need to arrive and you need to just kind of get that welcome in right set them down take a breath and also just read how, how where they're coming from so that you can actually adjust how you begin that consultation and then we feed into so that what have I ticked off listening body language eye contact the listening part is 
where we're going to start. And so this part is important because of all the different reasons you're you're having this talk today with your guest. If it's a new guest, which is where I really start my, I suppose, um, training and talking about consultations is very, very important to get it right with a very with a new guest. But I believe a consultation should be given at least a small consultation, even with a reoccurring guest. So that right. you're you're still checking in, not the, you know, are we doing the same as last time kind of conversation. So just hearing about how they've managed their style or how they managed it in the past. Uh, what have they liked about their hair? What have they not liked? What have they felt they struggled with? Let them kind of start the conversation off so that you know where to come in from. And that's, I think, the most important lead to getting the consultation right. Instead of you coming in from your side, let them begin with what the most important, and you'll be able to pick out from that what is the most important areas that they really need to cover in this service or this appointment in your salon today. Okay, so that strategy is a no-brainer to achieve that incredible client experience inside of your salon. Now, speaking of team and leading them to succeed, let's be honest, it can feel a little bit like an uphill battle from time to time. So this next episode, we dived into my favorite team leadership strategy on how to identify the bad apple on your team, so to speak. And what are you going to do about it? In fact, in this next episode, I share a sneak peek into my super easy three-step formula for managing bad apple behavior in your team so that you can have an amazing team culture, the one that you always really wanted without constantly worrying about next week's drama. Are you with me? <laughs> Plus, I'm going to share with you a situation I had with one of my team members back in the day when I had my salon. This strategy is the key to actually fostering an incredible culture inside of your salon. For salon owners and salon mastery is how do I manage repeated bad or wrong behavior uh, when growing my team. So I want you to think about a team member that you have in your business right now. Maybe there is someone that um, is constantly doing things the wrong way. You've got a certain way that you do things and most of you and most of your team do it the right way, but there's, but there's this one person who refuses to do it that way. Um, or they've got a certain habit or behavior that's just <laughs> downright annoying. Uh, or the way that they serve clients, it just doesn't fit. Maybe it's behavior like being constantly late. Because I want to give you a, a really simple framework that you can use on a daily basis to better manage appropriate behavior and redirect your team from the wrong behavior to the right behavior. So for example, I had this lovely girl that worked for me. She was a color technician um, and her name was Shannon and she constantly talked about herself. And it was a real bugbear of mine. She was a color technician for me and my clients. And when she was serving my clients, putting the color on, she just constantly talked about herself. Inappropriate things that just did not match and it was cringeworthy. And I remember the final straw for me was one day when she was talking about a meat pie. She'd come back from lunch. She'd obviously really enjoyed her meat pie like I can see your eye rolling. She was talking about the meat pie. She was talking about the carrots and the peas. And I just was like, this has got to stop. Um, so I want to give you a little framework on how you can deal with those annoying little things. I had another beautiful girl who was just constantly late. She was 
not well self-managed. She was always late. She would miss the bus, sleep through her alarm. She was a great stylist and she contributed to the team. She was part of the team, but she just couldn't get on top of herself. So uh, I thought I'd like to share this with you because I know it's been super useful, not only for me, but for many, many, many of the owners that I work with in Seller Mastery. So I want to take you through a really simple three-step framework that you can feel confident in managing, keeping it light, but managing this behavior um, before it gets to the point where you want to do performance management, where you want to just get them out of the team. That otherwise, because I believe sometimes B grade team members can be managed to be great A grade players. I do truly believe that. So I want you to give, I want to give you this framework so you can work it out. Or if you get to the point where you're ready to let them go, that you feel confident that you've done all of the things that you need to do prior. All right, are you ready? Three-step framework. Number one is identify the behavior. I know this sounds kind of simple, but actually be super clear about what it is that you want from them and what it is that you don't want from them. So what you don't want, it's not enough to know what you don't want without giving them something to replace it with. Does that make sense? I think that's fair. Number two, we want to grab them immediately the next time that they do said thing, talk about themselves, talk about mince pies, be late, grab them immediately. The next, very next moment that you can get in front of them. Don't make a, don't make a big formal meeting. Don't wait over the weekend. Do it now and grab them and explain uh, what it is that you want. Again, that sounds pretty straightforward, but what I want you to do is I want you to focus on the behavior that you do want. And I want you to not invest a lot of time on the things that you don't want. So the conversation is going to be around the things you do want, not what you don't want. So draw a really simple line in the sand to say, hey, Shannon, I have observed very specifically, I have observed that when you're, when you're working with my clients and you're doing the color application, that you spend a lot of time talking about the things that you're interested in, uh, the movies that you went to, the meat pies that you ate, whatever it is. Um, be specific, um, be kind, but be specific. On the topic of navigating your team, I see many salon owners struggle trying to keep up with their team's personal lives and making sure that they're happy inside of their job super important ingredient for you when you're planning your team retention strategy. In this episode, I want to introduce two industry experts who I look up to for how they constantly tackle the highs and lows of managing multiple salons at once. This is James and Lyndon from Vivo. They share their experience in the salon industry post-pandemic and how you, the salon owner, can survive in this new lifestyle effect that's really at play right now. Because let's be real, it's not an easy one to tackle. So if you've been wondering whether this new shift of stylists and therapists not really wanting to work the late nights and sad days, well, stick around, then keep listening to find out the answer because we discuss it and what it means for your business in this next episode. Um, let's talk about the things that have changed uh, really a lot in the last 12 months. And one of the problems, the biggest problem of topic and conversation at the moment is being able to staff our businesses, whether that's because people are leaving the industry or whether, whether that's because they're just absent 
um, with sickness and various things. This has really changed the whole environment as a business owner in the hair and beauty industry of what we focus on and how much time we spend, what we're spending our time doing. Um, we're really becoming HR, you know, good at HR departments. So I, I would love to hear from your perspective um, what has changed and how has it impacted business um, and what are you doing to kind of overcome this new environment? Uh, well, you know, I think that um, socially it is just so unacceptable now to go to work or go out when you've got a cold. You know, if, if you're coughing or sneezing um, or, you know, just by any of those symptoms, uh, people know that they have to stay home. Um, and so when you're a hairdresser or, or you're in any kind of client-facing industry, um, it, it means that you're going to be at work less uh, because the you know, the old take a codril and soldier on, that, that just uh, it doesn't cut it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're operating businesses in, in an environment now where uh, you know that tomorrow you could have, you know, half your workforce ring in and say they're sick. Um, and you can't, you can't beg them to come in. You can't coerce them. You know, you've just got to accept it um, because that's the nature of the world that we live in now um so yeah th there's there's a lot of headwinds i think for hairdressing uh, businesses and, and not just hairdressing but any kind of client facing business so optometry would be the same um and the issue is that uh you know with our borders having been closed for so long we we haven't had um we haven't had international hairdressers come into new zealand uh with uh, with the vaccine mandates, um, we lost, you know, the, the um, hairdressing workforce in general lost a lot of hairdressers who chose not to get vaccinated. Uh, and, and then, of course, we, we have um, uh, the disruption to training, you know, to apprenticeship training and uh, graduates over the last couple of years. Um, so... And then you've got in the whole of New Zealand, unemployment is at record lows. Um, so it's really, you know, there's so much choice for people of where to work. Um, and we're seeing that people are leaving the workforce, maybe because they don't want to be in such a client facing industry anymore. They want to be somewhere where they can be a bit more isolated. Or I think a lot of people actually like the idea of being able to work from home in these times. So you put all those factors together and it's almost a perfect storm, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that's sure. the environment that we're working in. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I think we're, you know, even from a year ago, um, the, the, the world was a different place and, and people's expectations mm. are, are different. And, yeah. you know, I, I think the hairdressing industry in particular has been, yeah, really affected because what it's done is it's kind of exposed the fact that um, our pipeline of, of stylists into the industry, our training systems have actually been broken for some time. And we can say they're broken because if you look around New Zealand right now, the number one problem facing uh, hair salon owners is a lack of staff. And, and if we had great pipelines and systems um, that were working, that wouldn't be the case. Um, so I think we, we've kind of uh, exposed that problem. Um, and then, as James said, we, we've lost people who um, have decided that, you know, being 
in the hairdressing salon is, is not a nice place to be at the moment with, with COVID and masks and uh, lots of people coming in the door. Uh, and then the other thing we noticed was that during COVID, a lot of people did a lot of re-evaluating um, about what was important to them, about um, priorities with family and work-life balance and even location where they live in New Zealand. A lot of people want to live in places that perhaps are a bit more um, COVID-proof or pandemic-proof for future. Um, so there's just been a lot of change, a lot of people making decisions to change their lives and uh, that's impacted on, on you know, employers all over New Zealand. Yeah, for sure. And I think the same uh, perfect storm is, like you said, James, which I think is a really good example, when all of those things collide at the same time um, and there's no feed-in of people to populate. Um, this is not unique to New Zealand and this is the same thing happening in Australia and uh, the US and the UK, uh, just at slightly different timelines, depending on how individual countries are dealing with different things uh, and the training aspect and whatnot. But um, it certainly is a perfect storm worldwide. So what does a company like yours that owns 90 plus salons, like how do you overcome this? How do you change and pivot? And, and what has been the shift in thinking or even the shift in the way that you operate? I think, uh, um, I'm sorry, I was going to say one of, one of the keys has to be a, a flexible mindset. You know, one of, one of the big things that we uh, have always championed is this idea that um, hairdressing is a, a career and a job that requires flexibility. There's, there's no rigidity in it. And so as an employer, you know, we, we've had to be a lot more um, willing to, to consider other options. We have to be more hungry about looking to create an environment where people want to spend their time. Because, you know, at the end of the day, one thing that COVID has done is, is it's made people very familiar with the insides of their homes. And um, a lot of people want to get out but they want to get out to places that they enjoy being. And you know that, that's really important is that uh, you, you put that focus on making sure that the salon environment is a positive one, one where they're enjoying coming to work and, and that will try and keep as many people as, as you can. Um, and then it's about looking at, you know, complete pipeline training systems to figure out how do you find the next generation of stylists to fill the gaps and go from there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we, we've made a lot of changes. Um, one, one thing is we have a huge focus on uh, apprentices. So, you know, we've always had apprentices, uh, but um, we've got a lot more now and, and we've got much better systems um, for helping them get through their apprenticeship quickly and get onto the floor. Um, so that's been ramping up steadily ever since COVID first hit in 2020. And... Um, uh, for last month, for example, we had eight or nine apprentices hit the floor as as stylists, and that's pretty um, that that's pretty much the norm now. Um, so we we're beginning to see uh, that our investment in apprentices um, a year eighteen months ago is really paying off now with more of them hitting the floor. Um, so we we've had as an organisation we've had a huge. Um, we, we've made a big commitment to growing our own hairdressers um, and we see that as the way forward. You know, it gives us more control over, um, uh, uh, over our staffing levels. It means that it means that we're not at the risk of the government closing the borders on us. 
or um, or not doing what we want them to in terms of immigration. Um, so so that that's a big change. And um, yeah, and, and as Linda talked about, we we are um, also being more flexible, you know, for our existing um, stylists. And uh, yeah, and and um, you know, we're, we're even looking at you know the way that we train staff. So we've employed more people to um, develop material and resources. Yeah, so so basically growing our own and trying to control the things we can control. I think James and Lyndon touched on one of the biggest challenges that salon owners are faced with in recent times. And I know this is going to continue for a little bit of time to come. And that's finding and hiring team members for your salon. Not only attracting team members, but also finding ways to attract clients and keep the current ones engaged. I believe one of the most important tactics for this is your marketing strategy. In order to attract clients and team efficiently and effectively, you need to have a great brand identity and a strong marketing strategy to make sure that you stand out online. Otherwise, how will anyone choose you over the next salon or the next business down the road? Everyone is looking for staff. Everyone is looking to attract new clients. So make it easy for clients and team alike to see you and stand out in a busy marketing world. I knew I needed to get our marketing guru here at Salon Owners Collective and marketing coach to join me on the podcast and chat all things marketing. Let's hear all the great marketing strategies that Brady has up her sleeve and is going to share with us today. One of the reasons that I um, asked you to come on the podcast is that one of the things that you and I see a lot, um, Brayley, is it's tricky for some salons to really get good at attracting clients. And in social media in particular, um, one of the things we see a lot is this kind of repeating pattern of the same content. And I think that's ultimately driven from owners not knowing what they should be doing. They're doing something because they know they should be doing something on social media and posting and so there's lots of backs of heads and very sort of uh uni or undynamic i don't know the word um types of content they're doing it because they should but not because they have a clear strategy and as a result it kind of lowers the new client flow and salons rely on referrals primarily as the main way of clients coming into the business. And so I really wanted to invite you today to talk about the three things that they should be doing to create a bit of a strategy so we can actually start getting new client flow and have great social media. So um, thank you for coming and talking about that. Do you want to take us through like, what are the three things we should be thinking about? Yeah. uh, So I think, as you said, Ress, um, one of the, big things that I see with salon owners is that they know they have to do social media and they kind of post day day by day just to kind of keep things ticking along and have it be one more thing that they can tick off on their busy to-do list and like I know how you listening like I know how busy your schedule is and how social media feels like just one of the many things you have to do and I think good on you for making the effort like what you're doing already is amazing um, but one of the things I see happening as a result of this is that salons are posting the same thing over and over again and the same thing as everyone else right so as you said Russ, like hair transformation photo back of head photo before and after and I think the problem with this is that every salon does a full head of highlights like every salon has great before and afters 
So you kind of have to think about what sets you apart. Like what is it about what you're posting that's going to make you stand out from the other salons out there? And I think you might think it's the work that you do, the great work that you do. And I think that is definitely part of it. So it's important to highlight that, but there's definitely more to it than that. I think the problem is that social media in today's climate is so overpopulated. So you need to kind of find a simple way to set your salon apart. But I actually think it's easier than you think. Like you actually already have everything you need to make this happen. So I think there's three things that every salon kind of needs to consider when posting on social media. I guess three different categories uh, that your posts need to cover if you want to set yourself apart and kind of compete against all the other salons out there and grow your client base through social media, which is obviously the goal, right? Um, I kind of call these things the three cornerstone concepts of social media that every salon needs to have. The real three key things you need to cover in your posting plan in terms of what you're posting on the day-to-day in order to set yourself apart. And those three things are know, like, and trust. And these are the three things that once incorporated into your posting strategy are going to set yourself apart from the other salons out there. All right, let's dig deep into those three things now. Let's talk about the first one, the word no. Is this like, no, don't do these things? Or is this, no, I need to get to know you? Tell me about this step one yeah so that's a good question so the whole point of the no factor is to ensure your social media has as many people knowing about your brand as possible and has as many people knowing as much about your brand as possible so kind of let that let let that sink in for a second because I know it's a bit of a kind of a mind melder um I guess it's just about the amount of people seeing your content and how much they know about you and your brand through your content. And in order for people to know about your brand, the first step is actually reaching more people. So that's kind of the first half of that, be as many people as possible, right? Um, Because if your posts are kind of consistently reaching 100, 200, or just the same amount of people, like plateauing in their reach, you're probably speaking to the same people over and over. So that's probably a good indication that it's time to start growing your reach. And if you don't know what reach is, totally fine. It just means eyeballs, basically. So eyeballs of humans behind a computer or behind a phone screen, seeing your stuff, seeing your content. And the more eyeballs on your brand, the more potential new clients your brand is exposed to, right? So I guess you can think of it like reach equals eyeballs, eyeballs equal followers, and followers equal clients. So there's that direct correlation between new clients and reach. Uh, And there's really no way to grow your social media presence and thus your client count without increasing your reach. And again, reach means eyeballs, eyeballs mean followers, and followers mean clients. So if your reach number isn't growing, then your follower count will most likely not be growing either. And if your follower count isn't growing, it may have mean your social media growth may have gone stagnant and the influx of new clients will have stopped. Yeah, okay. Um, I love that reach equals eyeballs. It's so, so true. And another way to think of it is how many people's scrolling, um, not page, how many people's feed is, how many feeds is it reaching? Like literally reaching into people's feeds. Okay, I love that um, about reach and eyeballs. So really it's about how many feeds um, is your content reaching into, literally. How many how many people are in a room that you can get in front of? Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that example of like taking it off an online kind of space. And if you think about it, your post is you standing in front of a room speaking to a bunch of people and the reach count is how many people literally are standing in that room listening to you speak. 
Um, I think that's a good example. Yeah, great. Um, all right, give us an example of something that we can do to get more reach, more people in our room. Yeah, so I think in terms of Facebook and Instagram, giveaways are great ways to increase reach, um, especially when like the way for people to enter is commenting below. They comment to enter and I guess comments drive reach because the more people that comment, their friend sees it, pops up on their newsfeed, their friend sees it, their friend sees it. The, it's an ongoing cycle, right? In that same vein, memes are a great way to increase reach because, again, people love to engage with memes and engagement drives reach. So the more people that comment and engage, obviously memes are super engaging content, right? Like I'm sure you've all seen a friend commenting on a meme page that you don't necessarily follow, but it's popping up on your timeline or your uh, feed. So I'd say that's a real life example of like one more set of eyeballs increasing that reach. Engagement posts, again, um, posts that specifically drive engagement. Your team sharing photos, like getting your team to share photos on their profiles of the work done in salon or, you know, your salon photos and their friends see it, their friends see it. Tagging your clients in posts and stories, which will make them, you know, more likely to reshare it to their feed or their stories. And then again, their friends see it. Um, and then just in general stories, like tagging brands that you use in salon in your story. So like anything from like the products you stock, from the coffee you use to the little chocolate that you serve with your coffee, like anything like that, take any opportunity to tag brands. So there are some simple ways you can increase your score with the like factor. I think sharing the humans within your business is a huge one. Like who are the people inside of your business? What are their personalities? Like who are they as humans? Show that behind the scenes life at your salon. Like, what do you get up to that clients might not necessarily see? What are the fun bits that happen behind the curtain, as we like to call it? I think it's easy to fall into the trap of feeling like your social media needs to look perfect. But actually, perfection is overrated. And it's much better to have a little bit of an imperfect rough edge and have that connection be formed rather than uh, just like a perfect social media feed with no personal connection. Because anyone can have a social, a pretty social media feed. So. I think getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, putting you and your team members out there and remembering that people do business with people and it's about building relationships with potential new clients just if you, if, if like, if you were to meet them in real life. Yeah, I, I loved that you said getting comfortable with the uncomfortable because I know some of the barrier and the block sometimes really is I don't want to put myself out there. People will judge me and look at me. The way I like to think of it is, you know, when you've got a salon, you've got a window and it's literally a footpath outside. People walk past and they are looking at you. So just have the same thought, keep it simple. You don't have to do anything complicated. Just open the window, open the door to people to be able to peek in and look inside. Um, yeah. Does that, is that useful? Yeah, 100%. And I think like the good part of it, as you said, is that all of this stuff is happening in your salon already. Like you have a salon full of humans, beliefs, systems, clients, techniques, values that are conversations, conversations, personalities that are uniquely yours already. So that's the only thing that's going to set you apart. So it's time to start showing that stuff because it's all happening going beyond just before and afters. Marketing is always something that's evolving, right? So having expert knowledge at your fingertips so you can stay relevant and keep clients engaged is more and more paramount to survive and thrive in this upcoming year and beyond. Okay, yay, we've made it to the end of this last episode. This last one I want to share with you and highlight from this year as we prepare into next year, 
This episode is all about you, the salon CEO. How do you get to work less to make more so that you can fully step into becoming a true salon CEO and live the life that you actually always wanted? In this episode, I'm going to share my strategies for creating what I like to call CEO discipline and have the time to move the needle in your business in this new year. Let's jump into this final highlight from this last year. Now, if you're anything like me, I was I was booked five months in advance. And if only the team were that busy, like they were out the back for a time before I worked out how to, how to deal with it. Um, and so I was in this constant state of rushing and never quite getting to the big important things that I knew that if only I had time to do that, um, I'd be able to smash my business goals, right? So this feeling of like always waiting that isn't there, there's never enough time. And when I have enough time, I will. Have you ever felt like that? Like when when I get enough time, I need to do the thing. I'm going to do the thing when I have the time. So um, uh, the problem is the time never comes. So instead, we need to realize that enough time doesn't arrive. We have to create the time, force it into our lives almost, make it happen. And it's the CEO time that drives the business forward and we stopped doing the busy work. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. The other challenge that I see or felt uh, fell victim to, and I know, I see you, creative entrepreneur, because I am you, shiny object syndrome, or awesome ideas. Now, I don't know about you, I, fo- I follow a bunch of great people on social media, and I see them doing great stuff, and I think that is amazing, I need to do that too, and we say yes to exciting stuff, because being a business is exciting, well, it should be exciting, um, and we have this huge light bulb moment and we think this is the thing that's going to take all my pain away and change everything, the million dollar idea. Um, and it, yes, may well be. Yes, Karen, I see you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it, it may well be the million dollar idea, but if only we had the time or uh, the foresight to be able to implement that thing properly, right? And it takes us away from doing the fundamental things that actually, if we did them for long enough, might actually work. So you know the things, you've tried them once or twice, and then you wonder, oh, I used to do that thing once upon a time. Whatever happened to that? And as a result, our time is full, our brain is full, nothing really sticks. So instead, We need to really focus on or understand what stage and phase of business that we're in. How long have we been in business? How many do we have in our team? What is our income? What is your current role in the business? Um, Are you still in early stage business or in late stage business? What systems and processes do we have in place? Uh, And what are we yet to nail? The other challenge as a business owner is that we're at the top of the food chain. And so naturally, everybody wants our attention. We're putting out fires. Uh, our team are asking us permission. We're making decisions left, right, and centre. And look, I mean, look, they're just checking in to make sure they're getting things right. They're asking the questions, and we start to suffer decision fatigue. Like this is actually a thing; it has a name, decision fatigue. And if you're anything like me, we're people pleasers. We want to help, and we want to help our team succeed. So I remember a time actually when I realized that I loved the attention and the importance of constantly being needed, but it did mean that I was constantly dealing with interruptions and fire, putting out fires all of the time. But the constant hat switching actually is a head wreck and it leaves us reeling, head spinning, and leaves us, unfortunately, on the mouse wheel. So what we need to think about is prioritizing 
our agenda, our CEO agenda, not other people's agendas. Um, otherwise, fireballs come flying at us uh, in no particular order and it creates chaos. So instead, we need to create some focus and working on the right things at the right time at the different stages and phases of business. We end up staying in the weeds, right, in a dark, deep hole. And I say a dark, deep hole because you can't see in a dark, deep hole. And In the weeds, we have no visibility over what needs to happen in our business. And that's a wrap. Now, before we close on the year that has been 2022 and start to look forward to what 2023 can bring you, I want you to think, what do you want it to look like? I want you to think to yourself, where do you see yourself in your business in six weeks from now, six months from now, and three years? Is it working fewer hours with clients so you can spend more time on training your team to hit their targets or increasing your client average spend rate or your retention rate? I would love to help you level up your business and your role as a salon CEO. I want to work with you to guide you in the right direction towards your goals. Discover how to regain control of your business through a clear and proven nine-part business plan towards Salon Mastery. So if you're nodding your head while listening to this, then all you need to do is click the apply button now in the show notes of this episode. Well, let's have a chat. Let's see if Salon Mastery is the right fit for you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.